Welcome, everyone. This is Ruscalzo Chronicles of the End Times. So good to be with you again today as we continue our study in the book of Revelation in chapter 13, which splashes over into chapter 17, where we left off last time. And I think it's very important we left off about the apostate church that will grow and continue to grow uh, in the end times. I'm sure you're very familiar with the letter to the churches, the seven churches, and you may or may not be aware of the fact that they're each prophetic. If you've listened to some of um, the early studies on Revelation that we've done, we talked about that, how not only are these letters to churches that existed, obviously, in that day, but they're also prophetic in a time kind of reference. The last one, the Church of Laodicea, is really a prophetic look at the church today. We're at a place where we have a lot of resources. Um, We entertain ourselves in different ways in church. Uh, Some of those are really not necessary. Some of those are just, you know, to get our attention and to keep us entertained. When in reality, we shouldn't be sitting in the pews saying, well, the preaching wasn't that great today, or I didn't care for that song they picked out. You know, we're just so used to sitting in front of screens. We sit in front of our TVs, our phones, our computers, whatever, and we want to be entertained. And that's not what Jesus Christ is about. He's about service, and what are you doing in the vineyard? Are you in the battle? Are you in it? Or are you just sitting on a bench, or in worse, are you sitting in the stands going, well, this, this isn't as exciting as I thought, or I really don't care for this church, I don't like the carpet, or uh, I don't like this, or I don't like that. That's really not what we should be doing. We should feel a calling to a a local body. We should feel a calling to serve others, and that is the call of Jesus Christ. And so in uh, chapter 3 of Revelation, we look at, real quickly here, the church of Laodicea, and some words that you may be very familiar with. It starts out by saying, These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds and that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich, I have have acquired wealth, I do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. That's pretty powerful words coming from the Lord God Almighty. Here is God filled with mercy. Jesus represents the sacrifice on the cross, forgiveness, and restoration, which is absolutely, you know, the bedrock of the cross and what God wants to do with us and reach out to those that are broken. But on the other side of the coin, we have to remember that Jesus is just not some kind of wimpy person who all I can do is love, and he is has two sides. We saw him as the I am in the bush with Moses. You know, take off your shoes, take off your sandals. This is holy ground. You know, this magnificent creator, um, this eternal fire, as it were. You know, this is also Jesus Christ. And in the last days, we see this prophetic vision of this Laodicean church, which existed, obviously, at that time, but also in a prophetic sense. We see that the churches today, as we're getting a little fatter, we're getting a little richer, 
we don't seem to have the same fervor, you know. I'm not saying not all churches, of course. You may be going to a church that's on fire for God, and I hope that's so. But this is just speaking prophetically of the age that we live in. And, of course, in this age, there's all the churches. All seven churches are probably and most likely represented in the day in which we live. But the Laodicean church is in that prophetic era that we're in right now. And we can it becomes obvious to us. We can look around and see this happening. So it's not a mystery to us. And we also see in chapter 17 this woman riding upon the beast, and she represents the harlot church. She represents the backslidden church. Not only that, but she has the blood of the saints all over her. So she has persecuted the true church of Jesus Christ. That's what the Word of God says. Those that know me and know me well know that most of the time I'm preaching love and forgiveness. That's that's what we do. Where we're at, we do a lot of outreaches uh, to a lot of areas, and this is the message we bring. But on the other side of the coin, those of us who call ourselves Christians have to ask ourselves, do we believe what the Bible has to say, or have we altered it to fit society? And it, it really does no one any good. And I don't want to be standing next to somebody at the judgment seat and have them look at me and said, you said this was okay. You said I could do this. I don't want to ever have that happen to me. You know, we need to be loving and kind, but truthful. My wife and I raised three beautiful daughters, and I love them dearly. We have a great relationship even to this day. But in order to protect them, I had to tell them the truth about things. You just don't go walk it in the street. You know, you just don't play, you know, try to stick something in the electrical outlet. <laughs> you know, I mean, it sounds silly, but I mean, this is what we do. We protect our children, right? We keep them from hot ovens and hot stoves, and we keep them from falling downstairs and depending on you know, how old they are or whatever, but we try to protect them. We do nobody any favors by hiding the truth because someday it's all going to come down. Now, there's going to be those in this day in which we live, in these last days, that are going to just say, no, you know what? They're going to reach out, like in Second Timothy, where they said they're looking for teachers to tickle their ears and give them new doctrines and make them feel comfortable. Jesus died on the cross and was beaten badly, nailed and stabbed and everything else because he was Jesus, because of the words that he spoke. The apostles were all martyred, the forefathers of the faith in the first century. So many of them were martyred. Why? Because they spoke the truth and people didn't want to hear the truth. You're sitting back and you're thinking persecution is going to miss America. You're in for a big surprise, and I pray that you will seek the Lord and see that things are not going to be all rosy. You know, the tide is already turning, and um, we need to keep our eyes on the prize and keep the truth, keep the gospel just as Jesus taught it. He taught it in love, but he taught it with authority. Remember the Pharisees and others said, this man is different. He teaches with authority. They felt the anointing. They felt the authority of God in his words. And some of them repented and listened, and others continued on their religious way. And this is what transpires. Now, we look here at chapter 17. The angel begins to tell John 
He said, this calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, and the other has not yet come. But when he comes, he must remain for a little while. The beast who once was and now is not is the eighth king. He belongs to the seven, is going to his destruction. Now we look at this and we say, wow, that's pretty wild. The seven heads are also seven hills. And many theologians, many writers equate these seven hills as the seven hills of Rome. And that gives you an idea of the old Roman Empire, right? Because we talked about that. This is the revival of the old Roman Empire. This woman, false religion, sits and makes her home on the seven hills of Rome which lead many to believe that the papacy, the Catholic Church, is going to lead the way of this apostasy. But I will say this, all churches, if we look around today and be honest, there are churches in every denomination that are moving away from the true gospel. They're all preaching a social gospel, not the truth. Uh, This woman is not going to be just one denomination. Sometimes we like to pick on one denomination, but we have to be honest and say, no, no, no. It's going to be a conglomerate of many denominations, churches that have decided to walk away from the gospel and adapt this new free gospel or whatever you want to call it, social gospel, and they will tie themselves to the Antichrist. And that is the woman we see on the beast. So the seven kings, five have fallen. One is and one has not yet come. And so we look at this and we say, well, what, what does that mean? Well, we know that the seven kings, we're talking about seven nations, and we, we listed those in the last study. These are nations that have ruled the known world, okay? So we know that we have the Assyrian kingdom, we have the Egyptian kingdom, we have the Babylonian kingdom, we have the Medes and the Persians, the Greek kingdom, that's five. Those five kingdoms were no longer. Now the one that is is Rome, and Rome controls all of those areas that all these other kingdoms had. So they're all part of these seven kings, right? Rome is the sixth one. Now there's a seventh kingdom that's coming. And the scripture says that he is not yet, the other has not yet come, but when he does come, he must reign for a little while. Now this seventh kingdom is the the last day's kingdom, the kingdom of all the nations that will gather together. And we see that in the representation of the ten toes in the statue that Daniel saw and explained to Nebuchadnezzar. And these toes are iron and clay, and they didn't mix well, which means there's going to be strong nations and there are going to be weak nations in this federation of ten. However, that fleshes itself out in the near future. So we see this kingdom rise up in the last days, and out of this kingdom will come the eighth king. And it says, the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received the kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. And so these kings are going to foster the eighth king, which is the Antichrist, and he will use this federation for a period of time now to elevate himself and to do what he wants to do. Scripture goes on to say that they will have one purpose— and will give their power and authority to the beast, 
They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. And that is those of us who follow Christ now, the bride of Christ, those who have decided that I'm just going to follow what the Word of God says. I'm following Jesus Christ, even if it comes down to persecution. This is the end. He says that they will make war against the Lord of Lords. We know this as the Battle of Armageddon. Chapter 17 ends talking about the beast and his kingdom. These 10 kings that reign with him are going to hate the prostitute. You know, here we go, right? The devil says, oh, you'll come with me. I'll take care of you. No problem. You know what? Stick with me and you don't need God. This is basically what's happening. This apostate church, this harlot church that we've been talking about, this backslidden church that have chosen its own way, has made a deal with the Antichrist. They're going along. Everybody's on their happy, merry way. These 10 kings and this false church and all this stuff. And the Antichrist is using it to pull people in and to suck them in, basically. And then when he's done, he destroys them. He turns on them. If you're out there and you think making a deal with the devil is a good deal, it's not. Because when he's done with you, he destroys you. And so there's only one person that he wants to be worshipped, and that's him. And we know that from the beginning of time, right? That Satan desired to be worshipped. He wanted to be God. So wrapping this portion up, we see that the beast that once was and is not and is again, this coincides with chapter 13, where it says one of the kings, one of the horns, and it's a little horn that Daniel talked about, received a wound unto death, and everybody was like blown away by it. But then he rose from it. Now, we know that the devil can't raise people from the dead. You know, only God can do that. So that's why many believe this Antichrist figure, this human person who's demented, you know, gone, just wanted to rule, drunk with power, he does get assassinated. Maybe he gets assassinated by some Israeli zealot. You know, who knows who would it be? But he gets killed. Many believe that Satan himself comes and inhabits his body, and he's able to be resurrected that way, that he's not really risen from the dead. It's interesting to see how the devil does everything opposite of God. He likes to mock it, right? He comes up with a mock program. So Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. Here he has his way of mocking that. So all the people are like astonished, right? And they and they follow the beast. We talked about that last time. Who can make war against the beast? They're like out of their minds with him. And we talked about the parallels. You know, I talked about the parallels with seeing, you know, John F. Kennedy killed and what that would have been like to the world if he just rose up out of his coffin. You know, people would have been losing their minds. Um, all this is going to be obviously on CNN and Fox News and MSN and BBC and on and on and on. It'll be covered by everybody. And the whole world will see this, and he will capture the whole world in this way. So now we're back to chapter 13, and we're looking at another beast comes out of the earth. I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the beast whose fatal wound had been healed. 
So here we go. We're wrapping it up now. Now there's a what we call the false prophet. In other words, this is his promo man. He comes up now and he's like, oh, comes on the scene. Look at this. You know, this guy rose from the dead. He's like a he's like God. You know, you need to worship him. So it's not enough that they follow him or they vote for him. Things we're used to today. No, they worship him. So now Satan is getting exactly what he wanted from the beginning of time. He's getting to be worshipped because the wound, the fatal wound he had, has been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to the earth in full view of men. Now we can look at this and say, well, you know, only God can do miracles. This is true. But if you remember from Job, fire fell from heaven. The enemy made fire fall from heaven and devour some of Job's sheep and cattle and homes. You know, so God allows, we have to understand that this is what's happening. God is allowing this to happen. Why? Well, if we say we're like a kid in a candy store, and our parents are telling us, no, you've had enough candy, you, know, you can't have any more. And we put on such a fuss, we go on the floor, we bang our feet and our hands, and we scream as loud as we can. And if you got good parents, they'll grab a hold of you and get you out of there. But <laughs> if you don't, um, they'll say, oh, geez, you know, give him, give him what he wants. And, uh, you know, don't worry about it. Here, have some more, have some more. And that's basically what's happening here. When we say to God, you know, we don't want you, you know, you're cramping my style, you know. And when we get like that, God puts up with it for a while and he keeps calling us and calling us. And only God knows when that rope runs out, when that line is gone. And he says, okay, I can't reach you. You don't want to be reached. So have all the candy you want. And this is basically what's happening here. Now the people are going, yeah, you know, we don't, we don't, we, this is who we want. This is our king. He talks the way we want to hear him talk. He's going to allow us to do the things we've never been done before. We want to follow him. No restrictions, no holes barred. This is awesome. And so these signs will just be another thing that will just lure the people in. Scripture says, because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. So the signs and wonders now begin to happen, and that just seals the deal. So he deceives the inhabitants of the earth completely. He orders them to set up an image in honor of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the beast so that it would speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast and the number of his name. Very, very popular scripture with a lot of people that don't even have anything to do with God. We see bands and albums and songs and all the 666 and t-shirts and all kinds of crazy stuff that go along with this, movies and everything else. But this is what it means. The devil, once again, is mimicking God. In the Old Testament, the Lord tells Israel to wear the law on your right hand and on your forehead. So where does the enemy decide he's going to put his mark? on the right hand, and on the forehead. These things blow my mind sometimes when I read them. But Satan continues to mock. Now he's mocked the resurrection. Now he's mocking the seal of God on the forehead 
and on the right hand. And if we look back in Deuteronomy chapter 13, it's an interesting scripture there that really tells the story. Moses is warning the people. He says, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you miraculous signs or wonders, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. That's powerful, right? Deuteronomy chapter 13. So once again, God is testing. This is a test. Love is a test, people. That's what it is. You know, it's easy to love when everything is going great. You know, you're running across the field with the flowers, you know, and the, and the butterflies are going, you know. Who can't love in those situations? But love is not really love unless it's tested. And so here we see God is going to test the whole world, all right? He's filtering out. He's coming. It's coming to the end. And so because God is fair and just and righteous, he says, you know, I'm just not going to pull the plug on the earth. You know, he could pull the plug on the earth today at midnight if he felt like it without warning. But he's merciful and kind. We may look at the tribulation. We may look at all the things the Bible has to say about the end times and say, oh, God is so cruel and he's so awful. Is he really? No, he's not. We are a rebellious people. We've gone our own way and done our own thing. And God has given us an opportunity. He's going to show us signs and, and he's going to allow these things to take place. He's going to allow this Antichrist figure to rise up. He's going to test the people to see if there's any, if there's any love still left in them. Remember, Jesus said, when I come back, will I find any faith on the earth? That's what he told the apostles. And so it's a really a credible question. As we look at the false prophet and we see what he does and we see about the mark of the beast and everything that's in 17 and chapter 13, God is keeps saying to us, I'm the only one. There is none other, only me. But in these last days, it's coming to an end. And so because God is pulling the plug on it, he wants to make sure that every single person, no matter where they are, in the deepest reaches of the wilderness of China or in the, in the Amazon or right here in USA or wherever we are, that we get the message that God loves us and cares for us, but he also is a God of righteousness and a God of judgment. So we need to make that decision. And I hope today you're going to make that decision and follow Christ. No matter what comes your way, you will follow him because he will bless you abundantly. You will have life everlasting. But know this, that the trial and testing that's going to come upon this earth cannot be washed away. It's biblical. It's prophetic, spoken by the Spirit of God. It's going to happen. In the day at which we live, we see these things being fulfilled. It's time for us to look at our lives. And if we're just sitting in the stands, we need to get out of the stands and get on the field. We need to get into the vineyard. We need to begin to serve. We need to begin to take stock of our lives. And I appreciate all the support for the ministry. And if you haven't had opportunity yet, please go on Amazon, download Hidden Thrones. I believe it will be a blessing to you. And leave a review. We appreciate that so much. I know I do. Uh, we fight not against flesh and blood, but against the powers and principalities. And sometimes uh, you can feel the heat at my end. So uh, 
I appreciate your support. And this is Russ Galsall from Chronicles of the End Times. God bless. Keep looking up. Jesus is coming. <laughs>